Hey, Google, play California Love. Okay, California Love by Tupac Shakur. Here it is on Spotify. Please. There it is. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. What's going on, y'all? California. Cashmere, California. Yeah, Cashmere. I know. All right, I ain't gonna party too much. I'm not gonna party too much this morning. I just wanted to get us started. Get the juices flowing while everybody walks in. Get your seats. Get your seats. Get your ticket stamp. Because the train is leaving soon. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the Pod is Good podcast. I am your host, Cashmere, California. Pod is good, and all the time, if you know, you know. If you don't, you'll learn. Welcome, welcome back. This is episode 12. Episode 12 of the Pod is Good podcast. Hello. Greetings. How's everybody doing out there? How are we feeling? How are we feeling? I, I, know, I, I know we've had... Um, some very interesting dialogue up to this point. Episodes 1 through 11 already have had uh, a lot of diversity. This is probably the best way to describe it. I mean, we've talked everything from, from, from real estate markets to uh, conservative values to uh, U.S. album releases in London to... <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I just want to add one more um, uh, to the history of the Shaolin martial arts. Come on. Come on. We've been all over. <laughs> We've been all over. And I'm hoping y'all have been entertained. I'm hoping, hoping you had a good time uh, enjoying the guest here. Um, if you are, please, please subscribe to the channel. Support the channel. Share it with somebody else you feel like may enjoy it. And other than that, sit back relax whatever you're doing you at work right now got the headphones on they don't know what you're listening to just chill out try not to make too many facial expressions or laugh because you know i'm funny so try not to laugh out loud and you know get fired or if you in in the middle of a project you out there on construction hey turn it up get to work zone out with us because i guarantee like every other episode of pod is good you will learn something you will be motivated by something, um, and overall, hopefully, you'll be entertained. My guest today is a really, really, really good friend of mine. You know how a lot of times when you look at the friends around you, they they might date back to um, you worked with them, or you went to school with them, or you know you knew them. You know you guys grew up together. Like there's there's usually like just a few background stories that you have with most of your friends they kind of group into work school grew up live next to you know girlfriend or wife's friend you know something usually right up in there this next guy our story is completely different completely different we just met camping one day just happened to be at the same campsite on the same weekend literally right next to each other and immediately 
we started helping each other. We clicked and we've been friends ever since. So ladies and gentlemen, coming to the studio, my man, James, the investment shark. <laughs> James, how you doing today, bro? I'm good, man. How are you? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I hear you. Great. Great. Thank it's you. Good. The audio is perfect. Appreciate the introduction. It's good to see you. <laughs> of course, man. I feel like we have one of the most interesting, like, how'd you become friends stories that then has developed into, you know, Bible studies together. It's, it's developed into, you know, families talking together, wives bonding. Like, it's it's flourished into uh, a, a friendship and a bond that most people, you know, wouldn't expect from, from such a <laughs> such an unlikely introduction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, interesting in, in way to encounter each other, but uh, man, it's been great. Right. And, um, you know, it, it's crazy how much uh, or how many people you can meet and not bond with, but just randomly out of nowhere, you have a, a good random. connection with some. Random, random. I'll never forget that because it, it was, you know, we were moving benches around, little bench that was in front, and you had a daughter. That was around the same age as my daughter. So, you know, you, you're doing the, you know, the dad thing. It's like you're trying to set up, but then you're also trying to look out and watch. And then, you know, your wife, obviously, she's handling things. And and I'm doing the same thing with my clan. And it's like, but we noticed each other. It's like, okay, I see a, another dad, another husband over there handling it. And, yeah. and it's, it just seemed like there was just a, hey, hey, can you help me with, oh, yeah, I got you. If you need some help, let me know. Okay, we'll be over here and come knock if you need, and boom. Yeah. <laughs> it was I think what's, races. Yeah, I think what's craziest is our, we were literally facing each other. That campsite was facing each other. And we were, like, right. basically sharing the site, which was awesome. Right. Which, which, that's a good point. I haven't thought about that before, that, like, that's, for anyone that actually goes to campsites, you know that that's not normal. No. Normally, your campsite, you hook up, everyone hooks up on one side, and you you set up your, you know, your entertainment area on the opposite side. So you end yeah. up, your entertainment area ends up facing the next person's setup side. Yeah. But you're right. For us, we happen to be both, our doors were facing each other. Yeah, it's it's uh, as you know, we, when we met, we were on a trip across the country in our RV. Right. And uh, that was the only time we stayed in a place like that. So it's kind mm. of divine, divine meeting, I guess, yeah. if you will. Yeah, absolutely. It was absolutely it was. And and to, to start it off, the, the opening moments of our friendship that very weekend, we, we watched church together. Yeah, <laughs> and I know, right. I know for you that had to kind of be like, I don't know if he's going to want to do this because you invited us. We came to to your RV to, to watch church. But I mean, I'm pretty sure, like you said, the, the divine energy made you feel like I feel like he's going to be OK. I feel like that. I feel like they're going to be into this. And, yeah. And we absolutely were. And that was that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, my wife pushed me to do it, but, um, you know, the crazy thing was, is the internet was kind of spotty out there. Yeah. And just for that time, it was like perfect, perfect. You know, no cutting on and off. So. Right. And this is during COVID time. Yeah. <laughs> to, to really put a stamp on all of this. This sounds like, you know, back in the day when, when everybody, you know, just talked and was around each other and six feet wasn't an issue, but yeah. this happened in the midst of the COVID 
pandemic, which is probably why you were on that trip and why we were out there. You're trying to kind of be out and away from people. And, and, and lo and behold, you're in someone else's RV watching church service in an arm's throw of them. Only met them probably within the last 72 hours. But, you know, yeah, you know that there's like a comfort and a protection, you know, in this <laughs> moment. That's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely, man. All the kids were there. It was great. That's crazy. So how you been, man? How's everything been going? It's been good. Things have been good, actually. I know we talked probably, I want to say, four or five months ago. Yeah. And since then, things have gone extremely better. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's awesome. It's been, it's been good. Um, I know uh, that's not everyone's story right now, but for, for <laughs> us right now, that's that's where it's at. So uh, it's all been good. But that's That's always good. Even if it's not your story, it's great to hear someone else you know, going through a great time to remind you like, okay, there's a chance. It's not like everything's terrible. The whole world yeah. isn't falling apart. There is good. There is productivity. There is, you know, gain out there. I just got to yeah. keep working hard and, and, you know, be patient for my time. Oh yeah. I mean, there's valleys and peaks. I mean, we're still in the valley, but you know, we're close to that, that mountain. I can see it. Right. So. Got a fly that's flying around in my studio, trying <laughs> to, trying to get on camera. Yeah. Um, all right, so I told you <clears throat> that um, you know, the the core of the show is always going to be music, right? It's always going to be back to hip hop because that is my um, launching point into entertainment, if you will. And I know mm -hmm. you have some roots in hip hop too, yeah. some roots in in the music world, and so yeah. and so. Before we get into the financial stuff. I need people to know the cool factor of James because <laughs> if you didn't know, you're about to know. First, let's start. Let's start with this, and then we'll get into you know some of the some of the other parts of your background. I would like to know, and I'm putting you on the spot. Top five, your top five rap artists of all time. Oh, top five. All right. If you need to squeeze it down to like a certain era or whatever you got to do, because I know that's a tough question for some people. They're like, I can't compare, you know, Drake and Cool Modi. Like, I get that. So, yeah, whatever, whatever first comes to your heart, what is your top five rap artist? All right. Top five. Uh, number one, Nas. Nas. Uh, number two, um, man, Kendrick Lamar. Um, sorry, I'm, I, I'm, they're all kind of bouncing around eras. Okay. Uh, number three, um, Jay-Z. Number four, man, I got to throw Pac, Tupac in there. Okay. Uh, and number five, I'd say Eminem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know if y'all heard that. I don't know. I don't know what you expected when you look at James. I don't know which, <laughs> what top five you expected to hear, but. That top five improves <laughs> my point. You 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 like some people with 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 a little lyricism to them. You you like some depth. Yeah, yeah. man. I, I I grew up. Um. So I grew up in foster care in East Oakland. You know, mm. and um, just turned Oakland. on to a lot of a lot of music. Um, real young. Yeah. Um, it was kind of interesting because when I was, I was put in foster care when I was six and I used to always listen to rap music on the radio in my, in my, my real mom's car and her, her husband or boyfriend at the time hated it. He only listened to like rock. Mm. So whenever he'd catch me listening to it, he would just drill into me, 
<laughs> and uh, it was kind of interesting because, you know, I, I was put in foster care when we were six, lived in East Oakland. Right. And uh, from there forward, I just listened to hip hop music. And it was kind of like a solace. Like you listen to these individuals stories. And I mean, that's what it is. It's poetry, life. Uh, you know, obviously nowadays, some of it's fake and but it used to not be not in the 90s. You know, I mean, that stuff, for the most part, they were living it. Yeah, and yeah. some of it was, you know, some of it was just stuff for show. But, um, you know, you kind of compare your life to theirs and say, man, I, I can see where you I can see you, you know, yeah. a bit. And yeah. it's, it would resonate with me a bit. And, and a lot of it, too, is, you know, it's conscious. I like the conscious rap in a way where it's yeah. like not everything is always about, you know, drugs, weapons, women and, you know, and like on the streets. Right. right. The usual suspects. Right. It's like the stuff that can kind of elevate you and, and you can learn from people's experiences, too. I mean, hopefully we all try to do that. Yeah. So that's really kind of what drew me to it. And then also, too, I mean, man, like I I, I mean, I love all music. Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter down. I mean, I played the trumpet. Um, I played I played five different instruments in, in jazz band, you know, in high school. And, and I played through uh, through grade school and stuff. And um and later on in high school, but at the same time, you know, I was uh, trying to uh, produce little rap artists in our in my my dad's studio. You know, <laughs> so just a, oh, no. is this I the did, same dad that was drilling into you for putting it on, or just, this is different? No, different dad. So okay. I was adopted. I was adopted when I was fifteen. Gotcha. Um, and the the my adopted dad's name was Henry Annabon, and he had a. Um, he had he was in a band in the 70s called the ninth creation and they were from you know stockton played around all the bay area yeah uh, they were they got signed to sony uh but they ended up uh shelving them so at the time what they would do is they'd make all the records but they'd put you on the shelf and then they wouldn't allow you to blow up all at once they'd play you in one area and then wait a few mm. months then you kind of like blow up in different areas all over yeah uh at different times and so uh, they sounded at, at the time um, they sounded too much like, um, you know, some of the bands that are out there like Tower of Power mm. uh, and those type of uh, funk, you know, 1970s funk bands. Yeah. And so but in any respect, my dad wrote like 80 percent of the songs uh, on wow. other albums and they, they had quite a bit. I don't remember exactly how many. You can look it up on discography.com. He has got all of his albums that he created, but also has all the offshoots, like people who sampled his music. So like uh, his What's music his was... You say Henry, Henry Anadon? Henry Anadon, yeah, oh. on discography. Um, and he sampled, or his his music was sampled on movies, like the movie Kids. Um, at the end, it was sampled in a, in a movie called Shooting Fish. And then... From there, or before that, though, it was sampled by, like, Pete Rocks and C.L. Smooth. It was sampled by uh, Quasimodo most recently. Um, it was sampled by, uh, as well, too, um, People Under the Stairs. A lot of 90s New York scene hip-hop artists, which which is, at the time, they were using the MPC. You know, they were putting a yep. record on and taking taking bits and pieces and taking just pieces, putting it. Yeah yeah putting them together like that which was kind of the deal and uh so it's kind of funny so he's got a he's got a we have a gold record from third base uh so they sampled on uh, he's he was Sir. sampled on 
Yeah, MC Sergio on uh, Derelicts of Dialect, that that album, and uh, wow. in a couple different songs. Um, and so they ended up, uh, yeah, there he is right there. He's passed away um, since, um, yeah, as you see, see 2011. Yeah, but if you wow. go down, you can see. Can you see that? Uh, okay. Yeah, I see it. It's on there. Yeah. Right kind of records uh, back at Bubblegum was like their biggest album in 1975. And that's the one that's been sampled the most. Well, um, right with right, right track. Yeah, there's Bubblegum. And then wow. you can see, I haven't been on this website in a while, but you can see where there you go. Falling in Love was a big one. Def Jam uh, sampled it there. Pop goes the Weasel 91, Derelicts of Dialect. Crazy. Yeah, Pete Rock. There you go. Uh, wrong side of the track place. reaching for the top that one that one was a good album too he uh he ended up leaving the band they were going to do a japanese tour in the late 70s a japan tour and his parents got sick so he ended up leaving the band at that point but and then they they still their whole thing was staying like kind of true to funk uh i actually remember a very funny story my dad said in the late 70s this guy came and he wanted to get in the group but he wanted to rap and yeah. my dad was laughing because everyone was just like, oh, people don't want to hear that, you know, and uh, <laughs> it was the silliest thing because, you know, it could have it could have elevated the band, but they, right, they, just, right. they just didn't do it. Uh, they, but they anyways, didn't have a vision. Yeah. But the cool thing was, is we had a full studio, um, you know, sample machines, everything uh, in our house. Nice. And in the during the summers, my dad would just like lock us in there and we would record as a family or as friends or maybe we would just make beats together just for fun you know that is and awesome yeah it was Yo, uh that is awesome it was one of the best things you know teach you Absolutely. how to do run through all that stuff and as and we used to use like a i don't know if anyone has even heard of this on this but uh an adat recorder oh it yeah was bas basically a tape and it had eight tracks and you could, <laughs> you could record, you could record up to 16 cause you can yeah. split them. Yeah. But, uh, but we had eight tracks and uh, we were originally using that for a long time. And then finally went to like uh Cubase, you know, to the computer and, and hooking all that stuff. So that was always fun, you know, like getting in there and teaching my dad all the new technology and learning it myself. And uh, you know, just recording fun stuff with my friends. I mean, even down to the point where like, pen tapping you would record pen tapping on like a on like a stool and put that in a, in oh, a yeah. beat or something oh yeah uh, get in there and tweak it and make it sound completely different beef it up or eq it and <laughs> yeah it was so much fun man right. and you know i haven't been in in the studio or recorded anything in, a, in quite some time probably in at least 10 years uh just because kind of kids and career and stuff is taken over and of course still playing the guitar a bit um but pretty much that's all i have uh, <laughs> to play but my brothers both of my brothers have full recording studios um or my adopted brothers um they record with them, themselves all the time like their children play different instruments and all that stuff so it's, it's, it's great that still they, in the family yeah it's great that he put that in you it's funny because um my guest yesterday um sr was talking about we had a good conversation kind of talking about what um moving to LA with your music as you're developing it can kind of do for you as an artist because it turns all of it into like this 
this has to work and this has to work and this has to work. And it also puts in the psyche of your appreciation for it is now based in a world of do, does the next person like it? Does yeah. this sound like a hit? Do, <laughs> what, what do you all think of it? It's not even about me anymore or, or my yeah. truth or what it feels like to me. It's like, you don't like it. I don't like it On to the next thing. <laughs> and so to hear, and so that was something that he had as well was, um, when he first started, his dad got him a guitar very early and he was, I gotta stop putting my hand in front of my face. Um, got him a guitar very early and, and he used to just play, like just be up at 4am, just writing songs, playing and playing. I mean, and he's an incredible guitarist now. Like he's, um, played on songs that I've done. He's, uh, been at events that I've booked and, and performed. I mean, he's, he's like a phenomenal talent. So that's that's really cool to hear that even though I guess the flip side of doing music for enjoyment you show is that even if you're not trying to pursue it later on in life, it still gives you something. Yeah, it still gives you something. And like to, to hear that you guys are still, you know, playing or recording or just like making music. It's like there's something fundamentally just engaging and beautiful about music that there's a reason why tribes used to just sit around and just make music for yeah. hours on end, like just because, yeah. you know, you know, I think what's interesting and this is might be a good segue, but um, I actually, so I love music and I love making it. That was always fun, but I all, I, so when I was 13 or 14, my, I was at the, uh, I was at um, a bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the mall. It was probably, I don't know, one of the larger ones that's probably not around anymore, but, they had a book is like how to start a record book. Huh. And I was like, Hey, I got a studio. I'm 14. I know what I'm doing. You know, you, you and- are the exact, <laughs> you're the exact age or right in the same front that he might've said 15 that he was when he went and told his mom, uh, he said, cause he had a band and he was like, I'm going to, uh, we're going to buy a bus yeah, for a thousand dollars that um somebody i think a guy from the circus that was using <laughs> for the circus is selling and his mom was like well you're not doing that <laughs> it sounds like you're in the same age okay so 14 year old james decides yeah. i'm about to i'm about to start my own def jam all right go ahead yeah i was i wanted to start a record label and um so i was going through it with my dad my dad kind of thought it was like I was just a kid, you know, like, what's he going to do about it? And then I started bringing like bands into the studio. My dad was kind of like, you're bringing all these people to the house, you know, to record and stuff. But I was like super driven to do it. You know, it didn't really go anywhere because the problem is, is it wasn't necessarily my drive. It was more along the lines. Number one, I didn't know what I was doing. I was reading a book thinking I knew what I was doing. And number two, it's hard to kind of, you know, when you have people together, it's hard to get them motivated to do something unless they're already motivated to do it. Oh, and I didn't really fully understand that. I was like, I have all these people who have this talent and they were more in it for whatever purposes. Right. Gotcha. Um, and so, but anyways, that was kind of my segue into understanding bit like the business world per se, um, at least moving into that side. And which is when I started really understanding how businesses run, you know, and how to, how to message them or how to, how to look at them and, and understand who they are and why they exist and what they do, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and so I kind of, that's really what drew, drew, kind of pulled me away from the, uh, from the uh, uh, kind of the music side mm. 
and, you know, pushed me to where I am today. I mean, I have other businesses that I helped start and, and work through that uh, were pretty much all failures, right, uh, up until this point. Right. Uh, but it was all learning lesson for me. Yeah. So I did move away from the music, but it was really the first thing that pushed me into what kind of what I do today. Um, you know, sorry to segue away from, from the music side, but it was, hold on, it, hold on. you know, before, before you segue. So uh, you, you're touching on a similar angle um, that we kind of talked about yesterday. But what I think one thing that's very interesting is that you kind of jumped in on more of the business side. And so yeah. you were able to see the business from an early age and then decide, yeah, this ain't really for me. Whereas, and, and because it wasn't so personal to you, it was a lot easier for you to disengage. Whereas, yeah. um, you know, the, our other conversation um, with, with SR in, in episode 11 was, it's a lot harder for artists because emotionally, emotionally you're invested. Yeah. And you feel like, you feel like you kind of just have to ride the wave. Like you feel like the issue is you. I think that's a good thing about it. I mean, a good <laughs> point, a good difference point that, that I'm hearing is like, you heard that the issue wasn't you. The issue was this industry. The yeah. issue was the people that you're coming in contact with. For the <laughs> artist, it's like, oh, the issue's me. I don't know something yet. I yeah. haven't adjusted yet. I haven't developed this thing that they're looking for. So I need to work on me. And at the end of the day, it's like, no, nah, you're probably good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's probably them. <laughs> you know, what's crazy is that, you know, that you watch that, uh, that Kanye West, uh, his, his documentary, right. That his buddy did. And what was actually, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that stood out to me, but one of the things that stood out to me, cause you were talking earlier, like, Oh, is, is this song going to be a hit? How do other people think about it? And he was, he was not, putting some music out for four or five years. And then it was a hit five years later, you know, after he actually put out, I mean, he had beats just galore and songs ready to go for years before he put them out. And then they were hits. I mean, you know, obviously he's got a gift and there's no doubt about that. Right. And there's a lot of people out there with gifts like that, but it's just crazy. It's just crazy to me to think that like, as, especially as an artist, they can tend to be very um, not not their worst their own worst enemy, but in a way just so uh, criti critical of themselves that they end up something that's really good is you hear every little thing that's wrong with it. You hear everything, and then you compare right. it, and nah, it's not going to be as good as this, or you know that type of thing. Exactly. And, exactly. And so you end up never either putting it out, or you just like talk yourself out of things, or whatever it is, and. And so that's kind of like, uh, you know, where I wanted to be in the space is, is kind of be that sounding board and say, Hey, we can, we can do this. Okay. Maybe this doesn't work, but the next thing may, or yeah. whatever, you know, whatever it is. And so I kind of, I kind of came from that side of it and, yeah. and I thought I figured, Hey, look, I, I have uh, the ability to do that and I love business and I want to figure this stuff out. So why don't I go into that space? And yeah. then, you know, obviously I'm, yeah. I'm no longer in that, but. And there's a lot of things that I've walked away from that um, I kind of think back now that, you know, I'm in my uh, mid thirties. say, man, if I really just kept going at that, uh, it, what would life look like? You know? Right. <laughs> so, but right. it's all and good. Feels like you'll always feels like you'll, uh, you'll never know. Right. Yeah. It always feels like, always feels like you'll never know because you know, it's, it's true. Like everything requires a certain level of consistency. Yeah. And, uh, 
nine times out of ten, the consistency. What's the the old thing where they say like if you, um, you know, hit a wall so many times with so much force, like it has to fall eventually, or <laughs> like the walls of Jericho, or if um, or like water, you know how a drop of water can put a dent in concrete. Yeah, and after so much time, it's like it, it has to give, and yeah. but yeah, consistency is is a big thing, and it sounds like because you were coming from it, uh, coming at it from such a a genuine place and and a love of the music that if you didn't let it contaminate you, which is the hardest part, that yeah. you probably would have built. I mean, you have you know a great character and you know, your intentions are good and you have a strong belief and great work ethic. So I have no doubt that you you could definitely have your own so-so deaf right now. And we yeah, have a whole so different so conversation about, so how does it feel to have all those plaques behind yeah. you on the wall? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have to add something to that too, kind of set the, the stage a little bit. So when this was going on at the same time, uh, obviously in the Central Valley, close to the Bay Area, uh, you had the the pack that was like pretty hot at the time. You know, got my bands on, but they looked like sneakers. And I knew his little brother. We were we were pretty good friends. His mm. name's Antonio. He went by Young OT. Okay. And uh, and then also at the same time, my friend from high school, uh, her name's Dev. Uh, she did that "Fly Like a G6" song. It was like ah, coming out after that. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, dude, we're gonna make a hit. I'm gonna make a hit. <laughs> And these are my friends, you know, right. like, you, got hit I could do it, you know, and uh, apparently I couldn't do it. So <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't just dump us off like that. So yeah. how did that not materialize? You got two friends, uh, basically people in your circle that, you know, that already have hits out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so they already make it noise. And then you have what's the next step? Yeah. What yeah. happened? You know, honestly, uh, a lot of life things happened, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, and it really pulled me away from there. I mean, I still wanted to do it, but I ended up moving to, to I moved to, to Sacramento for a little bit and moved to Costa Mesa okay. uh, to work to work with a friend of mine out there. Um, and uh, a few things didn't just didn't work out, you know, and, and I was kind of getting that business space, essentially. And uh, which was which was fine. And I mean, I guess it's just like the journey and the road. Yeah. So it just yeah. took me away from it. Like I like I lost interest over time. Yeah. And also, too, it was hard to find somebody that I could, you know, put in that space uh, as well. So and I, I had another dabble in the music scene. I had some friends who were DJs. They, they were like EDM DJs. Yeah, we tried We tried. We would we would uh, put on shows and stuff like at the local bowling alley in Manteca or like uh, okay. wherever we could. And or like uh, out towards and, the Bay Area. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was it, it was fun. But that's pretty much all it was, you know, and uh, and things kind of broke up there too and then i ended up moving out of the town and i went or out of uh Antique and i went back, i went to the bear and moved to san francisco mm. and i wanted to get into school and uh i went into school as a film major and uh a videography major and uh was doing that for a while but i just did that because i, I knew i loved videography but i i wasn't really super uh i wasn't really not super excited about it, but I wasn't like thrilled to be a videographer. If you will. Mm. After I took a couple classes, you realize how difficult it is to break in any in industry in there. Yeah. That's true. And, um, and so I ended up, you know, kind of going back to where I am, you know, in this, in this place. Now I, I took a economics course, which is part of what you have to do. Um, yeah. you know, econ one or whatever. And I didn't buy the book. 
and I, I got an A. And I was like, hey, I actually understand this. You know, <laughs> this is something I get. All right. There and, might be uh, there might be something there. There might be something. Yeah. Yeah. I changed my uh, major to finance and economics and the rest is history. <laughs> I, I do want I know this is a big jump back, but the fact that you named Nas first and you also said that you grew up uh, in East Oakland, I have to understand how yeah. does some a kid from East Oakland uh, not get more attached to the the two shorts the 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 Mac Dre's the um who else is out um uh forgetting his name Drew Down yeah. um the, the, there? Yeah. the Loonies yeah uh, even, I, I did even going back to like Far Side like yeah you, you got attached to Nas How, who introduced you to Nas I actually a friend of mine did. Um, it, it's kind of funny. So, I, I mean, I definitely listen to all those, all of them, right? You know, right. Um, yeah, Too Short. Uh, what's his name that owns Fat Burger? I, I'm, his name is, uh, his rap name is, uh, is skipping my memory right now, but. Um, he owns Fat Burger? That's dope. Yeah, or he owns a 40? bunch of Fat, E-40, yeah, a bunch okay. of Fat Burgers, yeah. Uh, obviously, they were, you know, big hits at the time out there. And, of course, Absolutely. I listened to them, but. Um, so I got introduced to Nas uh, by a friend of mine early on. Um, and I didn't see any East Coast, West Coast rap. You know how that was kind of going on at some point. Yeah, later on. Yeah, I, I was, I don't know, maybe I was too young or I just didn't understand it. But I, I kind of started catching on to that. But I was like, ah, this is, it didn't really bother me. I just liked the good music. And it was different. They were, both sides were different. You know, so everyone yeah. had good music to me. It was just different. And right. that's all right. I saw it as. Uh, but I just really like the way that he rapped, man. Like it's, uh, it was, especially at that time it was transformational, even in New York, you know, in the, in the East, it was transformational. And then you hear stuff like that, uh, you know, in the West and you're like, and then you hear West, I'm sure people in the East were like, Whoa, what's going on in the West? This is yeah, way different, yeah. you know? So for yeah. me, it was just like, uh, it was just like taking, you know, pieces off of like, uh, you know, charcuterie <laughs> board or something. It was everything kind of just worked for me right <laughs> great 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 analogy the hip-hop charcuterie board i love it yeah exactly. <laughs> you get a, you get a little bit of Nas, a little bit of Pac, and then at one point you know andre 3000 gets on stage and says the south got something to say and then you add yeah. a little, <laughs> a little yeah. south and yeah yeah that yeah is, and that, it's it, it's all it's all been good too you know i think really what it comes down to is like Music will invoke an emotion or it'll hit you somewhere, right? Yeah. Whether it's emotional or maybe, maybe mentally, um, you know? And so it really all is, that's all I was looking for at yeah. the time. I was, you know, I was a young kid uh, put in foster care. I was literally the like only white kid, you know? Uh, mm. And so, which was fine. I mean, like nobody treated me any different and I didn't see any different when I was younger too. You right. know, and, and so we'd go to like, you know, we'd play at the YMCA or something. And, uh, you know, I was actually fairly good at basketball. So that was like kind of a help. Right. And it was all fun, you know, when you're kids. And so but but like I kind of knew my life was different than a lot of other people's. Um, obviously, I was in foster care with other kids in foster care. So it's not yeah. fair to say that my life was different than theirs. Right. Uh, but yeah. but and they, you know. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff we don't even have to bring up, but, um, but the thing is, is like, it was more along the lines of like trying to understand who I could be or who I was. Hmm. I think, I think a lot of it 
is too is like there's one way you can go you can go the good way or you can go the bad way <laughs> and luckily i went the good way i know a lot of friends who didn't go the good way and unfortunately they're either not here or you know maybe they're in prison or something yeah but i think just even learning from some of those some of the songs that you heard in, in certain ways like ah, i don't want to be like that or i do or how oh, that's mm. such a good that's such a good way to look at life you know and and it's you're kind of kind of learning from from poets in a way of like street poets you know people yeah, who are yeah. giving you the poetry of life in a way and um i mean it, you know it, in some respects it was uh it was a way to teach you like you know i mean i didn't have father figures or mother figures and stuff growing up outside of i mean i lived in a lot of group homes when i was in foster care so it was just kids running around kind of like uh, lord of the flies but but he, anyways in, in those respects i mean that's that's really why i hung on to, to, to rap music hip-hop music uh from all over the place you know it really didn't matter to me it just mattered that the that what you said was good and even to this day Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I like a good beat and I'll listen to like some of the new music yeah. uh, often, but I actually always go back to something I know, you know, like yeah. Nas or whatever yeah. it is, you know, that, that I can get some like uh, some real good content. from. Yeah. But, you know, music has that way of like, it, it almost seems like, like fashion, like music is similar <laughs> to fashion. There's a certain identity to it. Yeah. And so the, the, the era in your life or the, the sub part of your life that you connected with music the most, or you connected with fashion the most will usually be the part that you carry forever. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's going to be hard for, you might try new things. Like you said, you listen to new artists, you might try a new outfit on, but there's going to be a certain look that, and you probably developed that look at a certain time where your look actually meant something, whether it was because of a job or because of a girl or whatever the case was performing that you yeah. just, that's you. Yeah. Music does that same thing. It's like a timestamps. Like all you gotta do is play somebody's playlist and you're like, okay, so you got into music around mid nineties. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, if you would have said name your top six, I probably would have put big L there uh, at the Ooh. bottom of the list too. But the problem is, is, you Ooh. know, it's like, I was put into, uh, I was, I was, he, I was given a uh, tape of his when I was probably eight, maybe eight years wow. old or something. Wow. Or it wasn't given to me. It was like one of the kids let me listen yeah, yeah. to it in his, in his, we had to walk, <laughs> a walk yeah. with, you know, those crappy <laughs> headphones on it. So you had to like listen to it at night, you know, so no one else was here. With the, with the metal, with the metal <laughs> yeah. band. <laughs> yeah. A little foam. The, there wasn't even foam on them anymore. All right. right. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> But uh, I, I, you know, one thing about Big L was like that he that was kind of like this point in my life where it was like uh, you could be a little more aggressive too, you know. Mm. And um, yeah. that was kind of around the eight year old, and that was like it was a journey. Music was a journey for me to like kind of tell me who I could be. There's so many different personalities in this world, and listen to all these personalities and and kind of help it build you to who you want to be. And, and I mean, right. don't get me wrong, there's good people in my life to help do that too. So that was the first of it. And uh, unfortunately, Big L didn't have much to put out, yeah, uh, which I'm tragic. sad about. Tragic. But, such a talent. Yeah. If y'all don't know anybody oh listening, if you've never heard of Big L, go find it. Go oh find it. Shout out yeah. to New York. I can't remember remember which borough. I feel like he was from Brooklyn or Harlem. but um, Yeah. Queens. Uh, no, not Queensbridge. Sorry. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember. I'm not doing him justice right now. But go. What was that joint? The, was the alphabet or something? Yeah. What was it called? Yeah. The, uh, 
Ebonics or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the Ebonics. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. He Big L was on it um before. Uh, and you know, we were calling was on it. Yeah, yeah. And we weren't calling uh, you know, cops Jakes out here at the time. So it was uh, <laughs> right. it, it was interesting to just hear how they how they spoke, you know, their 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 lingo, the way that they and that's crazy about like uh you know about um you know lingo right our our our, our the way we vocalize things is yeah. different across the world but uh but we always have like slang that you say one word and it means so much right <laughs> right that's so and, true and and you know and there's a lot of that in hip hop and uh, which that. was and it feels like it changes every few years every five it, to ten years is, that don't even mean that no more what are you talking about. Yeah, yeah, like that no cap thing, like no cap, you know, oh, yeah, like, yeah. No, no lie. And when I was a kid, when you said cap, it was like they were, you know, joking on you or, you know, right, <laughs> right, capping right. on you. You're right, capping back in the day and no cap today, two completely different things. Two, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and, and but, but what's what's funny though is when I looked at the background of no cap, it actually comes from that, really, which is weird. So the idea of no cap came from like the captain and Jones in because remember captain and Jones in, you're kind of making up things about the person. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It, was, so it was the idea of you're making up something. So then that turned into no cap. No I'm not up. making this up. It, That's it's so it, good. it's I, crazy how it got repurposed like that. I should have looked that up. I, uh, yeah, I did not catch that, but that's good. I'm glad you explained that to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that threw me off. Cause I, for a while I was like, Cause you know you'll hear if you hear a, a new term, a new ebonics, a new slang term that you haven't heard before, you can hear it the first three or four times and still not get it. Yeah, like like it'll it'll take it'll take like oh my my uh, my guy Roger Drake's that was on here, um, <laughs> say less. So he was talking to a guy. <laughs> This is so funny. So me and him are talking, and I said, say less. And he was like, yo, what does that mean? And I was like, oh, it means like, like I get what you're saying. You don't have to say anymore. Like, I got it. Like, you, you ain't got to say nothing else. I got you. And he was like, oh, he was like, the only other time I heard somebody say that, I was talking to this kid. It's like a young kid. Um, in North Hollywood somewhere, and I don't know what the conversation was about, but somewhere towards the end of the conversation, the kid said, say less. And he was, and he got offended. Yeah. He felt like it was like him saying like, shut up. Like, I don't need yeah. to hear, I don't need to hear nothing else you got to say. Like, just shut up. Kind of how I took it when you said it, you yeah. know, so, so he thought, so, so then when he heard it from me, he knows, well, cash is not going to say it like that. So it must mean something different. So then he was like, oh, I, this whole time I was like, man, that kid is just so disrespectful. Like, I almost wanted to slap him upside his head. Like, who are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. But that's that's how slang is, man. It's like a weird, uh, a weird thing. So, yeah. All right. So do you remember any Bay Area slang that stands out to you? Because, you know, E-40, E-40 kind of took it to another level with you know from from the soil i'm just you know lacing their tennis shoes and <laughs> you listen yeah. to before you'd be like i don't, I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. About? do yeah, you remember yeah. any that stood out to you yeah man like the turf 
you know, is in Oakland. Um, yeah. uh, Jug, like, you know, got it on the cheap. Uh, Cap, you know. Um, of course. I- I'm digging deep, man, but I- <laughs> it's been so long. It's been so long. I'm trying to remember. Do you remember uh, Juke? Yo, yeah, you got juked. You got juked. I don't know if that was a regional thing or if everybody said that, but yeah. I remember that. Like, oh, oh, he got juked. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you playing playing football or soccer or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah now that. they say like, oh, you know, the, the ankle breaker or something. Like, it's yeah. completely different. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I know you kind of touched on it. I don't know how deep you want to get into it, but I, I know we talked, we've talked personally about, um, you and your sister, um, yeah. being in the foster system and that that's an area that, you know, I feel like people kind of choose when and when not to really pay attention to it Yeah, they really give it too much energy. So it's kind of like the, almost like the forgotten pieces of our society. You kind of forget how many kids are in that or how many adults that you are looking at are around nowadays that came from that. So any, uh, any further light you want to speak on just the foster system or stories or anything? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the foster system's changed quite a bit in California. Now, when I was, uh, when I was in the foster care system, I started off with the state and they had this mandate where you weren't allowed as a foster kid to stay at a house longer than six months. Uh, or in any place longer than six months because they thought that you would get attached. Mm. Um, and so it was just pretty, that was kind of a brutal thing because six months in and you didn't know what day it was. You would just be at school or something. You'd come out and they'd have all your stuff in a trash bag and trash ah. bags in the back of the car and they'd take you to a new house. You know? And uh, that changed as I got older um, later on. And actually, I don't know if that changed in the foster system in California, but what did change is I was put into a different uh, foster system and I, I'm blanking on the name of it right now. Um, mm-hmm. It comes to my mind every once in a while, but I, it was more of a Christian organization opposed oh, okay. to what the state offered. Hmm. And so they were a little bit different on what they believe was to be real, but you know, going through the state system is, is hard. Um, and I don't want to talk ill about any foster parent but when i was um when i was going through it what they would do is uh they would put so just for instance one of the places i lived they had the two older people who were the foster parents of the group home they had a uh like their living quarters were in the basement of this house and this was in oakland over by the hill over by the zoo um and so they you know they had those three-story or split level houses and whatever yep and so they would live down there and their kids would take care of us and i mean obviously we had food we needed and all that stuff i don't i mean i don't remember a ton about it but it just kind of goes to show you you know it's like more of like a business sometimes than it is you know trying to help people and i'm not again i'm not i would never talk ill about any foster parent because there's some good ones out there and of course like anything there's some bad ones right yeah. But uh, so so those are difficult situations. I, I know my sister uh, went through some pretty tough periods, you know, um, and I, I and I real, real quick, real quick, because in the chat, uh, Mama Wolf says that uh, that that sounds very traumatic. I'm assuming she's talking about 
um, the the moving the kids around yeah. every few months and popping up with with the bags. Like, was there yeah. any level of they at least tried to keep them in the same school district or like certain re or or could you end up in a completely different like if you were if you were in Oakland you could be in San Jose tomorrow was it like that so uh I mainly stayed around Oakland but not the same school district for a while um and then uh I, I'm not sure who came up with that idea um it definitely was kind of you know traumatic I mean you get your clothes in a bag most of the time you didn't have all your stuff and then you right. just show up at this new house and it's like new people, new smells, new bed, just wow. kind of weird, you know, new kids sometimes. Wow. So, and, and there was, you know, I mean, with group homes, it's kind of like jail in a way. Um, I mean, I never stayed at some of those like more like designated group home, like they're straight up group homes at jail premises for, for kids and they, they didn't do anything bad, you know, but, uh, I was in more like a, they were homes, but big homes with lots of kids in them. Hold on, and, you said there are group homes at jails? Yeah, yeah. So um, like county, like where it's like county buildings and stuff, like uh -huh. usually, you know, there's one in Stockton. I'm referring to one that's in the Stockton area at the county jail. And um, I, there's a certain lady's name. I can't remember what it is, but they're like group homes uh, for, for children. And there's a lot of kids in there, man, like a lot. And they have the doors like kind of locked, you know, like on the, to get outside. It looks like a like you'd be in a almost in a jail. I mean, it's a little nicer. They got carpet and, you know, there's not metal tables with them bolted down or anything. But for the most part, it's on the same property. And, uh, you know, it's just not a great environment. You get your own room and stuff, but it's you got checks in your room. It's like it's crazy. Wow. Uh, you make sure you're going to school and they bust you all to school and stuff. It's just crazy. And, but you know, the places I stayed were in smaller homes, uh, just homes in general. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of, there's politics in it too. And so when you're young, you know, things are tough. Uh, when you get a little older, they get a little easier. But for me, I pretty much stayed around in the Hayward Oakland area for a while. And then they ended up moving us to, uh, when I moved into the new foster agency, um, families first, that was the name of it. Families first mm. just came to mind. When I moved from the first from that foster agency into the families first, uh, they moved me out to uh, to Lathrop, which was where our first home was. And we actually lived with them for a long time. Um, so after that, I didn't move around much. Um, but we lived there with this family for a long time. They got to the point where they were just kind of getting older and didn't want to foster anymore. It's just maybe taking a toll on them. I don't know. But my, uh, is, is, this is an interesting story. So my, yeah, I was in third grade mm -hmm. and we used to have eighth graders come and they do a buddy thing with third graders and just help us do projects and math or whatever it was. It was, I don't know, maybe it was for like a specific class for them or something, Yeah. but they would come and they would sit with us and help us with these things. Just so happens that that kid who'd come in, his name is David Anadon, who just so happens to be my, uh, my adopted brother. But her, my sister and his sister were actually really good friends. My sister, I believe, was probably seventh grade at the time, or maybe sixth grade or something at the time. And my sister told her, hey, we're going to have to move. We're not sure exactly where we're going. But they kind of at this time, they told us, oh, we're going to get you guys ready to move. And she went to her parents and said, hey, look, um, you know, my friends are going to have to move. But would you guys want to be foster parents and, and like bring them in because we don't want them to move. She's my best friend. Oh, and wow. my parents were like, oh, let's think about it. 
And like a week later, they're like, yeah, let's just do it. Whatever. You know, we already have 12 kids. What's, what's more. Right. Um, and so, <laughs> so, you know, and so they did it, man. And then they brought us in and we ended up moving in. I was like my 11th birthday. Um, and then we were adopted. I was adopted at 15. My sister was just about to be 18 going off to college. They adopted us and um, we've been there, you know, and again, yeah, they, they did have, or they had 10 kids, 11 kids at the time. So we made 13. My dad was married three times or Henry was married. My, my adopted dad was married three times before. So he had kids like kind of all over the place. But uh, you know, for them, it was like, Oh yeah. Sure. Rolling stone. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then he even adopted stones. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny too because my brother David is kind of taking that same path. It's very, very interesting. You have, uh, you know, family dynamics like that, but he's got uh, three different mothers of children. And, uh, you know, I think he just had two more kids. He's like almost 40. Uh, wow. So he just had two more kids. And so I think he's got six kids now. Wow. Which is just, just wild to me. But um, yeah, anyways. So you uh, were saying that the, the, the system has changed a lot from when you were in it. Has it changed for the good or for the bad? So my understanding is, so I wrote a paper on this in college. It was like one of my, it was one of the papers I wrote for my, like my, to make sure I could, you know, pass that last level English or whatever. Yeah. And um, it was all about how, what the foster system was and how it's changed. And so they don't do that six month thing anymore. Right. Good. Good. But yep. unfortunately there's still a lot less parents people who want to foster, um, yeah. you know, so, so there's still a lot more group homes, but um, they did change that portion of it. I think the saddest thing to me that I read and really kind of motivated me to actually finish school, even though I don't believe that college is really the place for everybody. I just disagree with that kind of, you know, inclination that the world kind of puts on us. But for me, it was, I, I read this, this statistic that said 30% of, foster kids don't graduate high school 30%. right yeah 30 percent of mm. foster kids don't graduate or maybe it was 30 percent do one of those two which is even worse right but if it's 30 percent of people don't no it was 30 percent and this is obviously over some time frame maybe this was uh the, i think it was the 2000s 30 percent uh graduate high school only 30 percent 30 percent of them go off to uh to a four-year college, but it was like only 3% of them actually get a degree. Jeez. So it was like uh, wow. a higher, a higher degree, like a bachelor's. So yeah. they, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't remember the statistic on, on um, associates or, you know, technical degrees, but you know, for, they were doing the study on a four-year college. Wow. And, um, and I was like, wow. man, that is wild to me. And I get it. I can see it, you know, yeah. um, I mean, you live through it. Yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, you were 18, you aged out of the system. They like basically kick you out and uh, send you on your way. Nowadays, they have uh, programs where you can you can still stay with the family till you're 21. Or, you know, obviously, if you move out, then they help you get jobs and they help you go in school and they help you get an apartment and, in certain areas and stuff. And so they have updated it in, in those ways. Um, I don't think that was really around. I, I, I couldn't tell you I was adopted at 15. And I did end up moving out at 18, but you know, that wasn't because I was, I was aged out or anything. Um, just kind of is what it was, but yeah, I mean, it's changed a bit for the better. What's crazy hopefully. is, you know, I know a few parents, well, 
either current parents or want to be parents that have attempted to go uh, and, you know, foster a child, adopt a child. Um, I mean, I guess that's different fostering and adoption, but um, I've, I've heard both and it seems like the process is not so easy. And so I wonder, has that caused a, a shortage as well in people that want to do it? Because after a while you keep, you know, you hear stories, you hear someone else say how long it took them and you hear someone else talk about how, you know, the process was so painful and they actually did see this kid, but then the things fell through and they got, yeah. they got all excited and blah, blah, got their hearts into it. And they don't want to do it anymore. Like, do you feel like the, the, the road to fostering a child has gotten any better? Or do you think that that has any effect on how many yeah. people that actually want to be foster parents? Yeah, you know, my, my, from my understanding, it's, it's kind of a county specific thing. And some counties are a lot easier than others. Like, so they'll loosen the standards if there's like a serious, uh, you know, inundation of children that need to be placed. And uh, that burden is put on the on the county until they can figure that. And, and it always is put on the state. But um, so I, I, I would imagine it's more county specific still at this point. Hmm. But I do know for for adopting, I mean, it's it's a pretty rigorous, you know, system that they put people yeah. through yeah i mean and rightfully so i mean foster in one way probably should have that but at the same time if you have it too strict then or too difficult then how are you going to get kids placed into a, you know a home where they're at least going to have a roof over the head, head at the very least and some food and you know the ability to go to school um but you know uh when it comes to adopting you know you're basically saying hey this is my child i mean you get a birth certificate that said you had right you know so Gotcha. You're taking you go ahead. No, so you're taking them on. And so yeah. I do I do believe that you know that that should be a fairly stringent process. Yeah. Um, because if you really want it, you'll go through it. But the foster side of it is it can be more of them because they get paid, you know, that to, to house the children. And so it could be a little bit more about money than it is about taking care. And obviously money helps, right? When you have a child, you don't have to be necessarily uh, taking kids in and, and all out of your pocket you have to have pretty good income for that but yeah, um yeah. you know at the same time kids need to be placed so they gotta i think they just try to find that balance okay so yeah maybe maybe you're right maybe i'm misremembering uh the people that i knew trying to get a child maybe they were all more on the adoption side i know i remember people on the adoption side i know i have friends who were in the foster system or their parents actually had a lot of foster kids while they were a kid so they were used to being in a house with different kids all the time because yeah. their their parent their their biological parent was also fostering other kids and so maybe yeah. I'm just misremembering the process and the the yeah. the road to fostering is a lot easier so then I if it's not that and it's not so much of an arduous process then I wonder I wonder what else it is as far as you know. Yeah people you know the willingness the desire i know there's you know money to be made but even outside of that you know people just having the heart to do it or the desire i, I think yeah i think foster kids can be tough kids um you know they've gone through all different types of abuses uh some of it is like very scarring on them and they just aren't known right to uh to be I'm not saying they're not good children 
or what it is, but they just, there's, they've gone through things that a normal person just doesn't have to deal with. And so they protect themselves in ways. And by protecting themselves, they react to things certainly, you know, in, in different ways. So, right. um, and it's like, for me, you know, when I was a kid, I, I, for some reason, I always had this feeling like I wasn't going to have enough food. And so I'd hide it under my pillow and, uh, and then I always have food, you know, and that was the case when I was younger. Like we always had problems with food, but I carried that on until I was like probably 10, you know, it took me years to get wow. rid of that. Yeah. Um, and so there's other things, you know, that was one thing for me. Yeah. Right. And yeah. there's other things for other people and the post-traumatic stress that it puts on them can be hard to deal with. I think as a, as a, as a person. And yeah. also too, you know, we live life nowadays in this way. That's just like, you do you boo, you know, and, and <laughs> we don't have to necessarily care about somebody else. Yeah. I mean, birth rates in, a, in America across the globe are just absolutely plummeting, you know, and, and people right. don't necessarily want to have to take care of someone else if they can not take care of themselves, or we want to just go travel. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people my age who just get married. They just go travel and travel the world and like you know you see him on instagram just having a good old time right. you're at work living my best life yeah exactly living my best life you know uh, and so. over, over to the chat mama wolf said that adoption is also hard because the goal is always reunification with the yeah. parents that's yeah. a great point good, good that's point. a great point because that's obviously difficult that, that almost feels like it puts the the uh the the parents that 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 adopt in the same position that you talked about a foster kid being when they never know when they're going to go to another home. Yeah. It's like, you have to kind of live each day with this notion in the back of your head that like, you never know when you're going to get that call and they say, Hey, the mom's actually looking for them and, and wants to be with them. And yeah. you need to doing, let them, you need to pack up. Doing much better. And it's ready. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and you're right. Yeah. They absolutely do do that. Uh, for sure, that's a good point. But you may that that's um uh to think about the trauma that they might have been through. To think about, I mean, it's hard for anybody else that hasn't been through that to even try to fathom like a new life twice a year. You know, in so many words, yeah. a new family, a new bed, a new like. How do you get a foundation? How do you how do you have the 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 a good, you know, spiritual foundation. How do you, you know, your belief system is kind of all over the place. Your, your hobbies and things that you're interested in, you, you go to one house and they're all into sports and he's watching baseball all the time. And you guys are throwing, playing catch outside the next <laughs> place. He's a scientist and he hates sports. And he thinks that's the, the most idiotic thing for people <laughs> to sit around throwing a ball. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's true. And that's true. I, I can imagine how that leaves someone with a certain level of PTSD. Yeah, man, I, I spent a lot of my life um, feeling like I was just trying to survive a bit. So like a lot of these like little things, even things you just spoke on were like almost it was hard for me to even understand the joy in that because I was always feeling like. Like my peers are all ahead of me, and if I want to be even close to them, I have to absolutely just kill, you know, and that was uh, that was always really hard for me in it, uh, until I was probably like late high school. But I think. Uh, Another thing is, too, is even even when I was at a foster family's house in Lathrop, when they would go on like a vacation, they would put me in. They would say, oh, this other person's going to hold on to you for a couple of weeks or whatever it is. 
and it, man that that post-traumatic would come back i'd be like in there in this room in this weird house just like oh this is so creepy you know like <laughs> wow. so that feeling kind of sweeps over you just yeah. so it, it, those things hang on to you especially as a kid it's like little things like like my daughter now mm-hmm. um when she was a baby mm-hmm. i was washing her in the bath yeah. And I got water on her face and she sucked water in her nose uh-huh. and was just absolutely freaked out. And she, to this day, will not like, does not like water in her face. And I know it's specifically because of what you know I did. The moment, I, right? I know the moment. You know the moment. <laughs> yeah. And it, it freaked her out. It freaked me out. But now she's the same thing. Face, she will not put her face in water at, in, for any respect. And, and, you know, the kids hold on to that just I mean, that's a small example, but kids hold on to stuff like that through their life and they, they got to work through it, you know, uh, just to be a feel like they're probably a normal working member of society, I guess. I, I mean, that's how I felt. Right. No, that, but, that yeah. And But, you, you know, you made it, bro. You made it through, yeah. through, through yeah. God's grace, you know, what I oh, mean? Yeah. Through, through your perseverance and and yeah. obviously also, you know, having your your sister you know, around and in this beautiful moment with Henry and boom. Yeah. Boom. And they, they were the family. So I would go to church and pretty much every family. Like you're in, you're in Oakland. I mean, dude, you're going to like, you know, Pentecostal churches, small little, you know, everyone's there all Sunday type thing. So I'd go to churches like that all the way to like, you know, real quiet Baptist churches and all the way. But when I moved in with Henry and Sylvia, it was like another Pentecostal church because Henry, you know, he's Filipino and uh spanish and so all of my brothers and sisters are like filipino spanish white basically so they're just all mixed uh mm. obviously i'm just white but um <laughs> uh, the the good thing was with that was they took us to a church and we had community in the church and we knew everybody and it was a time to like kind of rejoice and be joyful there and and it was just a good group of people to be around that as i started getting older i started I, I used to think, you know, I, w- I never really was one into church for a while. And that was because I was like, oh, the, I know what you do when you're not at church. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're here, you're one way, but I know you. At least I don't hide it. You know, right, 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 right. And then I realized later on that, you know, it's really about you and your relationship and how everyone else's right. relationship is. Right. Is that why you worry about his spec when you have a log in your eye? Type thing? There you go. And <laughs> and I started realizing that as I got older and it didn't really it took me a long time. I mean, it took me till I was basically with Letty, my wife, uh, not married at the time, still dating. And she started taking me to church and stuff. And I was like, always grumbling about it. Like, oh, you're going to wake me up this early on a Sunday, you know. And then I started getting really into it and, and I was like, man, I, I, it's so crazy to think about where I've been to where I've come and all the things that God put in place for us, even yeah. though some of them were tough, some of them were hard. There was all these valleys and all these peaks, right? Some of some things were great. Of course. From getting from there to where I, where we are now, me and my wife and children and stuff, it's just, it's all been by the grace of God and, uh, you know, Beautiful. I give him all of the, uh, all of the, the grace for that, or, you know, all of the uh, the love for that because I, I didn't do any of this on my that's for sure even though I at times I felt like it was <laughs> you know preach yeah, preach so. preach young James <laughs> um, I'm gonna show you something I don't I know you don't know this uh, uh, this video but uh, ironically I had a song that I did and I did a whole video too and whatnot and <laughs> I said ironically the premise behind the song was that this kid 
lives in a foster home. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the idea, I'm just going to play maybe like the second verse or something, but yeah. the idea was we had we had a few mass uh, school shootings. And every time there was a school shooting, I noticed that the focus was the demonizing the kid. It was mm. always, what did he listen to? Oh, he listened to this kind of music. He listened to rock music. He listened to uh, golf music. He listened to rap music. He played uh, Tom Clancy war games. He yeah. liked shooting it. Like, it was always that. And I'm like, man, no one's really like, I'm not saying none of that is, is valid to look at, but no one is thinking of, well, what is the story that leads a kid there? Yeah. Well, what's, what's the background of this kid? And so I wrote this song. I just want you to hear a verse from it. Um, and tell me what you think. See is negative energy as the center. Even me. Somebody tell me what can this be? Explain to me, are my eyes deceiving me? Cause all I see is. Hold on. I want to play the second verse. Hold on. So I do. I feel so wrong. Rest. I turned 15 today, but tomorrow will be the best. Why you ask? They don't deserve me. It's almost midnight. No one has said happy birthday. The oh so perfect. Mr. and Mrs. Stevenson or Stevens or whatever reminded me they don't need a son, but they don't know that tomorrow they will grieve for one. Future PTA meetings, there'll be no need for one. Oh yeah, I got a foster home, but this is not a home. I've been knocking on their door, but I can't find a home. Love is something that I can't even find alone. They say it's all time and well, my lifetime is wrong. So it's better if I'm gone. Anyway, no one will miss me, not even classmates. They just harass and diss me. They think it's so funny when they all call me crispy. Crunchy D Coon Chrissy. They don't know how pissed that gets me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words can take my life. Yeah, man. That's a good song. Thank you, bro. I got to hear that. Uh, like in you know like from my phone or something that's uh, on this other side so you know it yeah. sounds always off but yeah. yeah yeah man that's good i think um but like so i've I, always I'll, when i'm doing character songs like that that i didn't live my worry is like i don't have anyone to talk to to get a complete perspective uh, of this character and i never want to do the character any injustice. I don't want to tell the story wrong, you know, tr trying to be a voice for them and then yeah. messing it up. So, yeah. did, did, you know, at least did, did it feel truthful or did it kind of feel like, nah, that's not how it would really be? Because I definitely didn't get the, that six month thing, that would have been, <laughs> that would have been definitely in the song had yeah. I known you at the time because that's so relevant. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I, I think you hit it. You hit it on the head for a lot of kids, though, which is crazy. Hmm. You know, um, 
I mean, some kids go in there, they don't have any other family, you know, they're just in there. They don't, I mean, maybe they've heard about them or whatever. And the people that they're with are just kind of like, they're there, but they're not type situation. And, you know, there's, I think you, you deal with a lot of stuff when you're, when you're young, a lot of uh, things that you cannot really uh, deal with on your own. Yeah. Um, and those feelings come up, especially when you're younger, you know, <laughs> so you hit it on the head, I think, uh, for a lot of people I knew. Um, luckily for me, yeah. I had my sister and I actually knew my real aunt, my grandma and uncle and stuff, you know, cause my nice. parents kind of had, had moved my, my mom and her boyfriend were drug addicts and they had moved. They like basically displaced themselves from that whole side of the family. Oh wow! So they would come and see us, you know, but there were kids I knew that ne- they were never going to find out who their real parents were, you know, and that, and, that uh, oh, James, that is interesting. I've never thought about that question like what what about the rest of your family and you're saying they would come and visit like now did they come and visit you while you were in foster homes or they came and visited you when you with your adoptive parents no well both but um they uh they would come visit in foster homes so the first foster home was considered an emergency foster home okay and no one was allowed to see us there it was more like hey my parents dropped us off at the sheriff's station there in oakland and and then they basically took us into an emergency home and that we were only supposed to be there for like a week until they found someone. We ended up being in there for a couple months. Oh, wow. And then, then they move you, move you away, you know, to another home. And then from there, then yes, my grandma, she would come pick us up like for birthdays or for Christmas or whatever it was. Yeah. And she, they take us over to their house cause they lived in Hayward, you know? Yeah. And so they take us to their house and we do that. So they bring us back at the end of the day or whatever. Sometimes she just pick us up when we were in Lathrop, um, which is, a, you know, hour and a half drive or so for her. She'd pick us up from her house. We'd just go down the street and eat lunch. You know, from time to time. my grandma would always do that, which was great. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'd see my uncles and my aunts and everything on like big holidays and stuff. So I still had some family ties there. So I did have some like yeah. familial love, you know, and, well- uh, made it easier so now i know as a kid you know as a kid whatever the reality you that you're dealing with that's just reality if you yeah if you broke you broke you don't know that you're broke you just this <laughs> is life right if yeah. you got three brothers you got three brothers you don't really think about it like you know you don't compare it um yeah. so whether it was during that time or later did you ever feel anything about your real family that no one came to get you out of that. Like no, they yeah. came to see you, but knowing the condition, no one said, Hey, come live with us. We're your family. Yeah. Yeah, man. There, there was uh, a little bit for a while um, of that, where it was like, how come I'm, I can't be with you, you know? Yeah. And, and we were, we did live with my, we, so we lived with my uncle uh, uh, for a while. So my, this is before we went into foster care. My mom like dropped us off at our uncle's. We lived with our uncle and our cousins for a while. But what happened was, is uh, my mom's boyfriend would threaten my family with like firearms and stuff. Oh, wow. And it was like, he was pretty wild, man. And he like came to my grandpa's work one day and like threatened him with a, with a gun to his head, you know? And so my, my grandparents were like, they got scared. You yeah, know, and um, I didn't find this out until way later. Like, they kept that a secret from me. Of course. But, but you know, and, and there was some resentment there until I kind of found that stuff. You start kind of building and figuring out, okay, I see. I mean, mm. would I have done the same thing? I don't know. I'm I putting, putting myself in their shoes. 
I would, there was times where I'd say I would never have done that. And then there's yeah. times when now that I have kids, like, you know, maybe, maybe I would have done that, you know, yeah, um, yeah. to keep my children safe and my family safe and it's not their fault. It's just how, what am I supposed to do in that situation? Yeah. So, so, uh, there was for a time, definitely uh, resentment, but, um, you know, after I got older, I, I don't hold any of that resentment towards anybody. I've kind of been in that when I was 15 years old, I, I told my I had to work through this for a while, but I told myself, Hey, I can let my past dictate my future or I can, I can literally, you know, I, the world's an open book and I get to write it. And how am I going to write that? Is it going to be all based on sadness and sorrow that I didn't get the life that I feel like I deserve? Or is it going to be something where like, Hey, look, like, yeah, it sucks, but you know, you got this whole world in front of you that you get to decide. on, And it's hard. It's hard for everybody. The Bible says that work is going to be hard because you're yeah, man. picking that yeah. fruit off the tree. And, and that's okay. If everyone else, it has to be hard for everyone else. It's going to be hard for me too. So yeah, yeah. I just kind of, it took me years to kind of, I, I mean, that I made that conscious decision, but it took me years to kind of get past some of those, you know, heart hurts and heartache, heart, uh, you know, heartaches and whatnot, but yeah, well, well past it, man. Well, that's past good. It, you know? That's good that it's it it hasn't uh, jaded your view of them or or stuck with you. I know God will usually remove that that negative residue and allow you to just love, and that's awesome. I'm looking at the chat and just realized that uh, Mama Wolf said the exact same question. I didn't even see this, but she said the exact same question was was there ever any resentment, you know, towards that fa those other family members <laughs> for not taking you in? Because that stands out to 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 those those of us not in that position especially as adults with children and hearing what these children are going through to even have the slightest idea that i have a family member a nephew a cousin who's from, from day to day doesn't know where they're going to live next yeah. doesn't know who they're going to be calling whatever you call them mom dad sir miss like you know you really don't have a a a, a long background with anybody that you're living with at the time it's hard to imagine not trying to rescue that kid you know what i mean and so yeah you know you make a great point that like hey they got threatened or they had to deal with other things like they had to make probably tough decisions and maybe it wasn't the easiest thing for them to do yeah. so they tried to do their best and come around on holidays and maybe bring you a gift or something here or there maybe help you get school clothes whatever they did yeah. but it's like what else can we do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are in different situations. Like my, my aunt, um, my, my closest aunt, she just was financially never or whatever in a position to be able to take us in. She had a one room apartment forever, you know? Mm. And yeah. so there was just that type of situation too. Yeah. Um, could she really take care of a child? It probably wasn't best if she did to be honest with you so right, right, right. you know and it, in some instances it was probably it was for the best in other instances it was like hey like we have to protect our family too type of thing. and yeah i mean yeah. i definitely went through some of those i mean there was times where like because my mom told me when she dropped me off dropped us off and at the sheriff's she's like i'm gonna come back to you you know oh, and wow. so we waited for like i don't know how my sister took i actually never asked her but I know she said it because I remember it. And I just remember like for oh, years, man. like just waiting. And that's what, man, that's kind of where that, that, man, that shift man. came, you know, obviously I'd forgotten about it. When yeah. I was 11, 12, 13. And then it got to that point where it's like, I, I, I had forgotten about it so much. I just said, all right, 
Wow. This is obviously not going to go the way that I ever expected. That's so heartbreaking. Like, how do you make that shift in your life? How do you make a good life for yourself and not letting this tear you down, tear you into wow. pieces? And that was that, hard, but yeah, you know, that's heartbreaking. Man. Well, I yeah. will say whatever you, whatever you did, whatever God did to you, uh, you did it because you yeah. definitely turned your life around. You went from, I, I'm going to be honest, like s some of the most traumatic type of types of experiences that I've heard for a child to go through. Yeah, that may not sound like a big deal to maybe people without kids or maybe the younger people listening to the podcast, but to to jump from home to home to home, I didn't even realize it was like that. I knew that you you kind of maybe might change homes a few times, but twice a year, and, and you couldn't do it more than six months. You know, and like you said in that particular program, yeah, that that's tough. I think it was That's wild is my sister, my sister moved, I want to say like a hefty amount of times. It was probably like in that. So we were separated um, right. while we were in the Bay area. And then when we right. moved into families first, we were brought together, but that's when we were at Lathrop and I was probably at the time, I want to say eight, maybe eight years mm -hmm. old, um, maybe nine. I think I was eight, but uh, for her over that two year period, I want to say she moved something like nine times. Or something like that maybe it was seven but still it's like a crazy amount of time and I, I think i moved i think i moved like four or five um but That's i know hers crazy. was a lot more and you so, have to be detached yeah. at that point like you have to be like desensitized you have to have like zero emotion at a certain point it's just like hey where do i sleep hey yeah yeah where do i what's for dinner like yeah and kinda, everyone's especially got... if you have like what you said it's in the back of your head that like but my mom's coming back. Yeah, yeah. But my mom's coming this back. This is temporary. Yeah, this is temporary. And, uh, you know, as a kid, time takes a lot longer to pass by. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I think the crazy thing was is, too, another big thing was uh, you, you move into these people's houses, they all have different rules. Like, there's some right. people who, like, right. like, like, from listening to my sister, they were like, oh, they made me do all the chores. Like, no other kids did the chores. You know, I had to, like, oh. be in bed at a specific time and, like, it was kind of like that situation. Some even worse, but right. You and know, you're a kid. For, you're a kid. What are you gonna yeah. do? It's and I've like always call somebody yeah. and tell them, "Hey, they're treating me wrong." Yeah. Blah blah blah. And I've always not been a very observant person. I'm kind of like I live uh, way forward in the future. I'm like, ah, let's just get there. And who cares about all the mess mm. next to us, right? Yeah. So, so like, uh, my sister's not that way. So it really hit her, things like that hit her harder. And yeah. and I would put in situations like that. Ah, whatever. I'll do what you say. No big deal. You know, I don't want to get in trouble. I just want to eat food. And like, you know, when I get my free time, I want to be able to do what I do. So uh, for me, it was a lot different. So I, 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 I need to talk to her more about some of that stuff, but yeah, um, get it out. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Well, like I was saying, you, you definitely made the change and the shift. And so now you are James, the investment shark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had, uh, you had people that didn't necessarily invest into you properly when you were younger, but God invested in you. Yeah. Man, and I know you've sure. invested a lot into God and I see the dividends greatly in your life with your children, with your wife, with your, your living, you know, your RVing, your rental properties. I mean, 
yeah. You know, the 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 list goes on. So, so how does it feel as we get into your current day? How does it feel sometimes when you look back at where you were and like what you said, you could have gone the good way or the bad way, and then you look at where you are now. Like, how does that feel? That's amazing. I never thought I would have kids. I didn't even think. I never thought it was possible to get married. You know what I mean? Like, oh, wow. <laughs> none of those things were like a part of my. I, I just didn't think that that was even a thing for me. I didn't think that that was going to be possible. I thought I was, I mean, honestly, is there's that, there's that, uh, there's that Jay-Z song, you know, when I was born, I was sworn, uh, when I was born, it was sworn. I wasn't going to be, you know, mm -hmm. this HIT. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I, I remember hearing that as a kid and I was like, man, maybe that's me. Mm. And I play that, play that over and over and over in my head. But then there was like, like I said, you know, at that point when I was 15, it kind of shifted. Yeah. And so, so, you know, moving forward into the future, I mean, it was always like, I, I kind of had this like aching, like you're going to do something with your life, no matter what happens. So nice. there's something in me that says like, everything's going to be okay. But there was also that other side of me, like, you know, and we all have it that, that, you know, the angel and devil side. And yeah, there's always something on your back just telling you, you're not good enough. Um, you know, whatever it is, whatever your story is, whatever you tell, whatever you person yourself tells you, yeah, everyone has it. It's all there. Yeah. And mine was yeah. like, you're not good enough. Um, you know, people don't like you. Uh, you're not worth it. Or like, you know, you weren't born to be anything at all. So just give um, up, you know, type thing. And so we all kind of have that. And so it took a long time to kind of get rid of that. And did, um, did Henry help with that? Or did you have that prior to Henry when you started feeling that, that sense of you, no matter what's going on, eventually I'm going to do something. I kind of always had that mm. piece of it. Uh, my sister used to joke um, and not joke, but it, she used to, I used to collect like money, any money I'd see, I'd collect like coins, like pennies and and none of them had any value except for their face value right but yeah, yeah. i would collect them for some reason yeah and she used to always she was always to joke with me like you know oh you used to say you collected money when you were younger now look at you right <laughs> uh, but the funny thing is is like um, it was meant to be yeah you couldn't yeah. stop it <laughs> right you so you look, stop this. <laughs> you look back and, and but no there was always this thing that 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 kind of puts a drive in me yeah. I feel like I struggle with it too. Sometimes I'm like, I just want to be lazy. And other times I just want to get stuff done, you know? So I have this, have this weird balance, but, but they always had that thing that was telling me that I couldn't do something. And then sometimes I would do it in spite of that little voice. Like, Oh yeah, I can't do something. I'm going to go do it. Watch. Me. Oh yeah. And, I'm, oh, and yeah. you know, whether I fail or I win and, uh, That's the hip hop in you. That's the hip -hop yeah. In you. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, like, uh, man, like hip hop is like, fake it till you make it or, or just like straight up speak things into existence. Right. You know? And continue to fight for it. Yeah. Continue to fight for and, it. And that, and that contrarianism where it's like, don't tell us we can't. Don't tell us, tell me this yeah. isn't a real thing. Don't tell me I'm yeah. limited to this. I'll show you. Yeah. Yeah. Society puts these bars on us and we're yeah. like, no way. This is crazy. You don't have to live like this. Right? Not at all. And so um, I just kind of kept pushing. And honestly, I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. I mean, I went to after high school, I got my um, drafting certificates. I was a computer draftsman just to make money. And I made fairly good money. I just hated it because I was there at you know, four o'clock in the morning, falling asleep at my desk, you know, for whatever, 10 hours a day working. And so I, I ended up wanting to get into sales um, and learning all about sales and stuff. And so I did that and I went and got some sales positions. And then finally, 
wanted to start a business. And so me and my, um, I was, I was working with my cousin to open a, a powder coating shop. We did that in Stockton for a okay. while. And, uh, and then, you know, 2008 it came and we ended up closing the shop and that's right around the time, uh, I went out to, uh, I was still in Antica for about another year or so kind of working, uh, just odd jobs ended up going to back to school. And, um, yeah. that's kind of when I got out to San Francisco, is where things started to really kind of work for me because I was never, I never, I, I didn't graduate high school. I actually left high school when I was, because I was 18 before I turned, uh, or before high school. So the first day of senior year, I was already 18. So I signed myself out and I just left. I like moved out of my parents' house, like got an apartment. I ended up getting my GED like pretty soon after that. But I never really thought about, I never, there's that same aching, like, oh, you're not worth it. You'll never go finish school or whatever it was. And so I just did it. And then I wanted, something told me like, get back into school. So I moved out to San Francisco. My aunt had a house there and she's like, Hey, look, I got this. The whole under the house was like a second unit. She's like, you can rent this from me and go to school. And I was like, okay. And so uh, I went to school and, and that was probably the hardest time of my life to start because it was, I never really had like this set. I need to go to school and get this degree done. And mm -hmm. it was like, I know it's going to be a long road and do it. And so I pretty much, I didn't have a lot of free time because I was working and going to school. Yeah. But during that time, I ended up getting a job at Morgan Stanley in San Francisco, third floor at 101 California, which is actually the same exact floor that uh, the same exact. It was Dean Witter originally, which was where, uh, you know, about that movie uh, Pursuit of Happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with uh, that, that guy worked in that office. Wow. Uh, and Morgan Stanley had bought it at some point and it turned into Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter when right, I was there. Right. And then it was just Morgan Stanley, uh, Smith Barney or something. And, and anyway, so I started working there um, in, as an intern, uh, going to school. And it was just one of those things that just, I was like, oh, I actually kind of like this. I enjoy this. Like, let me, let me learn more, you know? And I took that economics course and I was like, hey, I could, I could do this. This is not that bad. And it's, it was a huge, it was a long learning curve for it. And, you know, it took me about five years to really kind of get my feet out from under me wow. uh, when I was there. But then I said, eventually what I did is I left Morgan Stanley and and I've been an independent investment manager ever since. Um, there's been good times and bad times, and you know some of the the recent stories. But yep. you know, we're I'm back in a in a building mode where I had to start from scratch again for the most part, and it's been going good. But you know, this business has been uh, difficult, but it's yeah. like it's something I I understand, I get, and I offer a lot of value to my clients. You know, and absolutely, and it's and I love it. That's the problem. There's times I hate it. Don't get me wrong. That's the problem. <laughs> it's not, it's not really like a, like I don't, it's not that it's not a stressful job. I mean, anything in the finance world is probably one of the most stressful jobs that you can have outside of, I don't know, maybe air traffic controller. I mean, it's one of the, it's on the top of the list. Hmm. And, um, and it's been this way for me is like, you go through these times of high stress and, and, you know, do it because you're always doing it the way somebody else wants you to do it. That's really what causes the stress. So I got myself in this position now where I can do it the way that I want to do it. I want to build this business. So the, the firm is called Olivia Wealth Management. We're building it the way we want to do it. It's not based off of grow at all costs, right? This is based off of how are my clients? How can I treat them the best? And how can we grow together for the whole long haul? And I or long haul and we can have a great relationship, uh, you know, to the point of, you know, who my children are. I know who your children are. We know each yeah. other to an increasingly more 
exponentially more, you know, I guess intimate level could be the word, even though it may not yeah. be the right one. But yeah, no, I, I want to, and I want to do it in a way where where I know everything about you in your financial life per se, uh, and where we can help you make the best decisions and mm-hmm. even more than that, right? So. So, so I do want to get into kind of coming back a little bit to someone who's not there already, like someone who maybe let's talk about some of the opening steps to someone who wants to start building an investment portfolio, wants to diversify their investments, but maybe they haven't started at all. Yeah. Maybe they have a 401k. Maybe they don't even have that. But before we talk about that, a story popped into my head that I have to share because we've been talking a lot about um, a traumatic childhood in so many words. And then you said you wanted to get into sales. Yeah. Okay. So Erica and I are watching a show the other day. This is just so funny. Hopefully it's not one of those. I guess you had to be there stories and everybody's like, (laughs) oh, that was a dud. So yeah. we're watching this show and basically this kid has a life of crime, right? He's stealing cars from car dealerships. He's um, stealing jewels out of mansions. He's sticking up people by gunpoint, just traumatic life. Uh, there's one point where he commits a crime. He's told with his plea bargain, he would get a maximum of four and a half years which in his head, he's like, I have no clue how I'm going to do this. Like, how am I going to survive four and a half mm-hmm. years? After the judge looks at the at his paperwork and looks at the aggravating um, circumstances, he decides to give him 12 years. Ooh. What a gut punch, right? Yeah. He, long story short, he, he, he gets out, he goes back, he gets out again, and he decides to go into sales. Here's where the story takes an interesting turn and what's, I guess, the humorous part to us, because this entire show, we were like, man, this person's like, we're feeling sorry for him in so many words. Like, you know, he didn't have the proper foundation growing up, didn't really have parents around. Next thing you know, he's in a life of crime and drugs and alcohol. And when they do try to connect with him, like it's it's just too late. And now he's in the prison system and. You know, he's just losing years and years and years of his life. Fast forward to now, he's talking about making tens of thousands of dollars every month at this, at this, um, sorry, at this car dealership selling exotic cars. You're still there, right? Yeah, I mean. He's selling exotic cars. And so we go from feeling sorry for this guy to being almost like, how do we do what he's doing? Yeah. <laughs> I can't think the last time I was making tens of thousands of dollars every single month. And yeah. so when you said, I really wanted to go into sales, I was like, here we go. Yeah. Another, another person that jumps into sales and they're, well, boom. Yeah. <laughs> they just blow up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, fortunately, it was not like that for me. Um, <laughs> it's always kind of been a long road. I think a lot of that was because, uh, you know, I was in school. So a lot was taking yeah. my time away. Right. And so, um, you know, for me, it was, it was not like that, but, but, you know, at the same time, uh, I think, you know, interesting, like that show is like the people with some of the, the hardest backgrounds actually tend to do well in business. That it's like, that, so true. That's you know, so it's true. like that guy in high school where everyone thought he was going to be just like uh, sit on the couch loser. You go back in your, your, you know, your high school reunion and this dude owns like half the town or something <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> You're like, uh, how did this happen? 
it's just that age old story that, you know, they like to exist outside of the traditional system. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they thrive in it. Right. Yeah. And sometimes they don't, but that, that's okay too. But, yeah. but at the same time, I think when you're put in those positions, you know, sometimes you kind of like push yourself through. And so for, for my, from my experience, it wasn't like that, you know, go from zero to a hundred that fast. Right. Uh, and, and it wasn't. For most of us. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I've learned a lot over that time, but my, my whole thing was, is I, I always more focused on growing. I always wanted to grow something that I believed in that people that I was with believed in. It was so true and so real that they couldn't, you know, that they trusted it. Yeah. And it took me a long time to believe in myself for that. And I think was really, really my issue are people you know how are people gonna trust and believe in somebody who like isn't really worth it you know oh yeah which is my own story just my own story within myself and 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 it took me a while to to work through that but you know to find out nobody knows yeah yeah to find out (laughs) nobody knows and they're treating you the way you basically in so many words tell them to treat you yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, uh, but I always wanted to make sure no matter what, it's going to be done 100%, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's why I went what's considered to be a registered investment advisor. And that's you're, you're considered to be a fiduciary, meaning if you don't do what's in your client's best interest, you're going to, people are going to know, you're going to find out, and you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's why I left the broker dealer side because they go by what's called, uh, you know, not best interest, but they go by what, what's called suitability. Oh, this is suitable. Mm. Uh, it's like yeah, kind of say yeah. eh, it's suitable enough, you know, yeah, right. right. Uh, kind of checks these boxes, which is right in his range, you know, so yeah. we can sell, sell him this product. And I didn't really like that uh, after a while, after I got out of the business enough. So I said, Hey, look, I, I kind of want to be more of a fiduciary where it's like, Hey, I, I need to know all this about you so I can give you the best information, right? The best information in gets us the best information out. That makes and sense. I wanted to, and I wanted to put myself in that position. And so I did, you know, and I went and helped build a registered investment advisory practice with a with a friend of mine who um, we split last June, huh. and now I'm I'm starting this one, and this one is with my family, it's with my wife. Um, we both, you know, just me and her. We do have, uh, you know, relationship with larger institutions to help us with certain things, but we're going to do it the way that we want to do, <laughs> as right. I was mentioned before. But um, I know I know you were saying something about talking about individuals who haven't. Yeah, yeah. Let, I want to get let's, started. Let's start there. Like, imagine we do have a listener that saw the investment shark. Oftentimes, when people start talking about um, investments or finances or things, they start from a place of you already have something. They start from like a, all right. So if you have, let's say twenty thousand dollars, like, and yeah. the person listening is like, well, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you've already left me. Like, I'm, I'm out. I don't have twenty thousand. So yeah. imagine. You know, you're talking to matter of fact, let's say you're talking to the, a younger James, yeah, a younger James, somewhere between 15 and 18, and he's changing his life. He's starting to really see himself doing something one day. He keeps hearing invest your money, invest your money. He doesn't really have a whole lot yet, but what kind of, uh, you know, yellow brick road, if you will, or, you know, would you give him? to kind of begin and, and which direction should he go and starting to build his portfolio? Yeah, man. Well, number one, start the younger, the better, start, even if it's $2 a month, you know, or, or a dollar a week or something crazy. And as a matter of fact, there's uh, there are apps out there to help you. Right. So you have uh, 
um, acorns is one of them mm. right? and acorns what that does is you can hook it up to your credit cards you can hook it up to your bank account you can hook it up to pretty much anything you spend money on yeah and whatever you spend money on say it's a dollar 50 it'll round up that 50 cents and send it right to that account and you can add more you can you can tell it hey i want to take out a hundred dollars a month or two hundred dollars but um what it does is essentially what's called dollar cost averaging. So it's saying on this day, every single month, I'm putting, I'm, we're going to round up your, we call, they call them roundups, round up whatever change you had from all those last transactions for the week. And we're going to put it in this investment mix that we chose for you. And they give you a, a mix, right? So from being completely conservative all the way to being extremely aggressive. And uh, if you're younger, obviously being aggressive may mo make the most sense for you. If you're older, maybe not as aggressive, or if you don't need the money for a long time, maybe you do want to be aggressive, whatever you, you know, you can help. Anyone can help you make that decision, maybe yourself or any other advisor, but your goal is just to be consistent. And that consistency means, with, or what I was talking about before was dollar cost averaging means the market's going to go up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. It's just kind of the way it works. Uh, and what you're doing is, is as the market's going up, you're adding to it every single month. And as it comes down, you're adding to it at a lower price, right? So you're always adding to it at some, what's called averaging, you're averaging up hmm. and over time, your cost, what you paid for it will always be lower than your value. It'll take some time to get wow. there, but even if you go through difficult markets, yeah, your cost is always going to be lower than your value. The only it's like if you take the stock market from 2001 at the top to 2008 at the top, you had this kind of like V, right? So the market topped here eight years later, it topped again and then came down again. If yeah. you dollar cost averages averaged over that time period, you know, your, your investment gains weren't zero because you didn't put everything at the top and just wait for it to come back. You were buying at different prices all the way along, along that curve for eight years, you know, and, and dividends were paid and all that type of stuff. Yeah. I think the most important thing is just pick a, a, to start, just start. If it's a dollar or $2 or $5 or $10, or maybe you have a hundred or 200, right? Um, because over time that will grow. And then when you're dollar cost averaging, you're not worried about what the market does because you're going to be buying when it's going down, right? You're not going to be like, Oh, I want to sell everything. And is the market's going to go down now? Maybe if you have a few million dollars, you know, or a million or a hundred thousand, 200,000, whatever, you have a little bit more chunk of change, then you can get a little bit more on that. What's called tactical investment cyber say, Hey, look, I want to make a different investment decision now because I think, I don't know, copper's falling. So, you know, the economy is going to do bad. I want to get out of, you know, equity markets or whatever it may be. And you decide to make that, but to start, um, you know, dollar cost averaging and some type of an app like that, or even on Charles Schwab or, you know, whatever it is on, on any type of uh, investment platform would be that make the most sense. Okay. So I, because we've talked, I know what dollar cost averaging means, but to someone listening, um, break that down. Yeah. So if you're say, say we're just talking about the S and P five, you're going to buy S and P 500 ETF, right? Which is just the, it's just a, it's a makeup of what the S and P 500 is in a way that you can buy it. And that's all you're buying. Just say for instance. And at this point, say it's a dollar. Right. And obviously we know we all know that it's not a dollar right now, but let's just say in this case, it's one dollar per share today. And every single month on the first of the month, you're going to make a one dollar deposit. So you're going to be able to buy one share on the first of the month every single month because it's a dollar. But hey, at the first of next month, maybe it's only 75 cents. So now your one dollar is buying you one point two five shares. So now 
with your two dollars, you actually own two point two and a quarter, right? Shares. Then it goes up to a dollar twenty-five. Now you're only spending a dollar, so you can only buy you know three quarters of a share. And there's there's uh, programs out there that can help you buy three quarters of a share nowadays. It used to not be the case. But say, for instance, you're always going to take that amount and you're buying it at different prices as the stock market's going up. Over time, what's going to happen with dividends, right? Because it pays dividends, also reinvesting those dividends over time. Uh, what will happen is, is over that time period, your investment gains will be much more uh, astute than if you were to just put $1 amount in and watch it grow. And I could show that in a, in a, in a presentation in a way uh, at some point or whatever just to show you, but your goal is, is you're putting money in the same amount. If not, I mean, you can pick whatever dollar amount. If you, as time goes, you can max, you can move that dollar amount higher, but you're right. picking the same dollar amount with the same frequency. So whether it's once a month, every week, every two weeks, you're trying to pick those same exact dates, just on the 15th and the first, I'm putting a hundred bucks in the S and P 500 or whatever, whatever Got you it. decide. Got it. Dollar cost averaging. That's what that is. Okay. And now the S&P 500, yeah. what is that? Yeah, so that's 500 of- I'm trying, I'm trying to make it like, just in case, you know, you may have like a 15 year old that's watching it and so certain terms that we, we say so often, we kind yeah. of just assume everybody knows, but they might be like, well, what is that? How do I invest in the s Is, yeah. is Acorn the S&P? Cause he said do Acorn. So is Acorn the S&P 500? Or, you know what yeah. I mean? They, you, they might get confused, so. What yeah, yeah. S&P 500. Yeah, yeah. So Acorns is the app, right? Uh, and I'm plugging Acorns. There's other ones out there, but I use Acorns myself, which is why I'm plugging that. But um, the S&P 5, Acorns is the app. The S&P 500 would be like basically buying a stock, right? Uh, or the S SPY would be like buying a stock on the, on the exchange, right? So the S&P 500 is an index. You used to not be able to invest in it until the 90s when they created ETFs. But all it is, is it's a calculation of mathematics that derives the index called the S&P 500, which is 503 of the largest companies in the U.S. stock market. And all that is, is just supposed to represent a good basket of companies. Now, we also have the NASDAQ, which is the NASDAQ 100, 100 of uh, the largest uh, companies, right, uh, on the NASDAQ. And then you have the Dow Jones, which is 30 um, of the you, they choose what goes and go into these uh, indexes, but they're just indexes of investments. So there's only 30 in the NASDAQ. I think there's 102, or sorry, 30 in the Dow Jones, 102 or three in the NASDAQ, and maybe 503 in the S&P 500. That's why it's called the S&P 500. Um, and it's just really to kind of show you how the markets move. Now, there are some caveats to that, which we don't have to get into now, but this is, it gets really into the weeds. Uh -huh. But it's all it is is an index. You used to not be able to buy the index. It used to be something that we'd look at and we all just buy individual stocks, you know, in the 60s and 70s and 80s. But as we got closer to the point where technology started to advance, people created what's called an exchange traded fund or a fund in general, where then now they would try and copy that index as best they can. Because it's just a mathematical calculation. They let you know what the mathematics are. So people come and say, hey, look, we're going to make a, the same mathematical calculation we're going to buy these same exact companies in the same weights that the index has. Now people can invest in them. Right. And so that's pretty much all that is. And you're getting just a broad diversification of the 500 largest companies by buying the S&P 500. So the market goes up, which when I say the market, maybe I'm referring to the S&P 500 in this case, 
market goes up, you go up. Market goes down, you go down. So instead of saying, I live and die and buying one particular company or two or five or 10, uh, which is totally possible to do, but instead of you know trying to pick stocks when you're new, it may be best to just get broad diversification. Uh, just buy that. You know, you're going to do what the market does and it's easier. All right. Um, and one more term I was going to, oh, an ETF. ETF. ETF is an exchange traded fund. Um, it's a basket of companies uh, that they put together in one wrapper, essentially. So say, for instance, you wanted, again, you wanted to buy the S&P 500. You can't buy the index you see kind of trading on, you know, on uh, CNBC. That's just the S&P 500 index, but you can buy SPY or VOO or whoever. There's lots of different companies out there that have an S&P 500 type ETF and you can buy that. And all it is is a basket of all those companies. Now there's different ones out there too. So you can buy international, you can buy, you can buy the you know, FTSE index essentially in an ETF. You could buy, maybe you just want to buy all rare earth metals. They have an ETF for that. You can buy all the companies that deal with rare earth metals and buy that ETF. And all you're getting is that subsector, right? Uh -huh. um, so that's what an ETF is. It's just a, it's just basically a wrapper around a basket of stocks. And instead of buying each one of those individual, you just buy the ETF and you own all of those. All right. So hopefully everybody heard that a little breakdown of some of the terminology as well as the direction. Just start. Don't overthink it. You will learn through the process. I had James talk about some of the, the terms, but really you didn't even need to know that. And right now you can, we won't plug that app anymore just because we set it enough. We will say that there are investment apps out there. Just look at the search investment apps um, or just search investment in your apps, in your app store. Um, and they will lead you, you know, look at some reviews, pick the one that makes the most sense to you and just, Start dollar, two dollars, three dollars. The overwhelming um, uh, common thread that I'm noticing, whether we've talked about learning how to play the guitar and being a great uh, band member or investments or martial arts, there's a single word that has been the th common thread through all of that, and that is consistency. Mm. Stay consistent, decide, make your decision. Get in, start, and then be consistent. That's the that's what separates the the man from the boys, if you will, is right. the longevity, the consistency. Okay, so that is like a beginning investor. I want to shift to uh, maybe more of a medium or, or the the next level, whatever that would be called, uh, of investor. Let's just go like between. Let's go someone who's been investing, you know, a little bit. They already know about. Uh, these apps, they've been kind of doing that. Maybe they have a, a Roth IRA or, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. but they kind of want to go to the next level. Maybe they have somewhere between a thousand and five thousand dollars to to invest. Yeah. How do you direct them? Yeah, I mean, so before we were talking about just buying one ETF, I think uh, at this point, when you have a little bit more money, you have the ability to d diversify. Right. And in that diversification, you can take on a little bit more risk if you so decide. That little bit more risk may be considered cryptocurrencies, or maybe you're deciding that you want to, right now you think AI is hot and you want to buy AI or whatever it is. That's totally okay to do. Now, it's all about how you weight that in the portfolio, because the higher weighting that you give to one of those segments, 
is going to have your portfolio moving in general in, in the direction of that, right? So the lower weighting you give it, you're still taking on a, a little bit more risk. If it succeeds, you do well. If it doesn't succeed, it's not going to put you in the poorhouse, right? If you diversify correctly. So at this point, when you have a little bit more money, your goal is to diversify your core positions. We'll just say that's the bulk of your money, essentially. Let's just make it easy to understand. Yeah. Your core positions, you want to diversify across the globe, I would say, right? So get the S&P 500, maybe buy some international and then, you know, have some uh, fixed income in your portfolio. You know, obviously fixed income hasn't done extremely well over the last two years, but that could be the, that could change here fairly soon. So you want to get some fixed income. Now, in now you said across the globe, are we buying uh, North Korean ETFs or... Yeah. Yeah. So those don't <laughs> exist, but, but, you know, I mean, emerging markets, right. Is the BRICS yeah. nations, right. So you have Brazil, Russia, India, China, plus, right. There's some other ones that are, those are, those are considered to be emerging markets. And then you have uh, your developed markets, right. So you have like Europe, uh, you know, um, and so you can purchase some weighting between the two. So say if you had $5,000, I'd put the bulk of my money in the S and P 500, maybe it's a, uh, $1,200 or $1,500 in there, and then split $1,000 between emerging markets and you know European developed markets. And then uh, below that, I'd put another portion into fixed income. Say that's, I don't know, another $2,000. How much is that? That's uh, you what is that? 500 left. Uh, 500. So the last 500, I'm, maybe I want to buy my uh, AI, right? Maybe I want to buy Palantir or something, an individual company. PLTR. Maybe I wanted to add that to the portfolio. Yeah. Maybe Actually, not five. You have fifteen hundred left. Five fifteen hundred. Okay. Yeah, you said fifteen hundred into the uh, S and P, then a thousand you split into an, uh, emerging um, and uh, markets, uh -huh. emerging and, and and what was the other word? Merging in uh, international developed. international market. Yeah, developed. You developed markets. Yeah. yeah and, so then, and then and then. Yeah, and then the you know the last chunk you have maybe you split it between a few things, right? Instead of yeah. buying one individual stock, maybe you're splitting it between five different things. Hmm. Like so, say you like say you like driver something in the driverless car space, plus you like AI, right? So you can get access to that in an ETF where they have just AI focused on um, artificial intelligence and as well you know CARZ, which is a ticker for an ETF that has the kind of the driverless car stuff going on. Mm. Maybe you split between those two. So then now you have what's called uh, your, it's core. you have your core, and then you have what's called your satellite, right? Your satellite's always a lot smaller and those are going to be kind of more drilled down individual pieces. Gotcha. And then you consistently keep doing your hundred bucks every month or whatever, two weeks, whatever, or however much you're putting into it, but you just consistently keep doing that into that asset al allocation, that, that weighting of everything. Yeah, and just keep going. And if something's not working in six months to a year, and you you're not uh, super excited about it, you can make a change, you know. But the goal is to consistently keep doing. Consistency, once again. Consistency. Okay, and then the last one I'll ask is now. Let's say someone that things have just they're going great. Yeah, <laughs> they are going great. They look up. They bringing in thirty thousand dollars a month. I mean, they they're trying to figure out. I got I got like ten grand of this. That if yeah. I could do invest the right way, like once this thing is over, I'm I might be set for life. Yeah, ten thousand plus per month. How do you direct that person? Yeah, at that point, I mean, you're talking about more than just 
uh, investments, you're talking about financial planning. So you want to make sure that you're not only obviously taking that capital you have and allocating it efficiently, you want to make sure that you're helping save yourself from taxes, right? So what type of uh, investment vehicle are you putting in to help you with that taxes? We also want to talk about uh, your income. We want to talk about at some point, you know, if you're really coining money, you might need to get some light and you have family and all that stuff. Maybe you need some life insurance and some products of life insurance are actually pretty good nowadays. I mean, you could store a whole bunch of money into them and it could be like a, like an, like a, you know, a tax uh, deferred haven for you. Right. So we just want to look at very many different uh, facets of your life. Like what are your goals from now until retirement? And then what are your goals from retirement and beyond? And how do we get you from where you're at right now to those places? And that's where the financial planning comes in. And once you're done with that financial planning side of it, you know, that the investments, once we're, we're doing financial planning, it'll tell us exactly how to invest your money through that. But in those cases, we have a little bit more money. What you're trying to do is allocate capital efficiently, save from taxes, and just make sure we're making the smartest moves with your money for the future. And that's really all what financial planning does. But in those respects, much would not change from the way that you invest from where you're in that middle tier that we just talked about to the higher tier. But now you're talking about a holistic view of your finances right? from budgeting, you know, taxes uh, to the point where our financial planning software can straight up tell you as long as we know with fair accuracy what your income is going to be, it'll tell you exactly what your taxes you're going to owe in that year based off of some of the strategies that we decide to tell you or decide to not tell you, but at least, uh, you know, recommend, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, at that point you're expanding your financial goals. You're, you need to expand uh, into a little bit more robust type of a financial planning system as well. Well, as promised, as promised, everyone, James, the investment shark can <laughs> take, can take anyone, whether you got 10 grand per month to invest, whether you're down to, one dollar to invest number one he says make sure you start number two is be consistent and three varies because there's a different strategy um depending on where you are financially but the number one thing if you're thinking of investing your money which is a smart thing to do we don't always think so especially when we get our first job and you get your check and it's 180 dollars or 230 dollars you're not thinking hmm I should invest this for when I'm 40. I get yeah. it. Like yeah. we all get it. We've all been there. None of us talked about any of this stuff, you know, when we were younger. We get it. However, if you talk to us, if you talk to any adult that you know that's in your world, a neighbor, coworker, family member, ask them, do you wish you had started investing earlier? And I bet you 100% of them no matter where they are in their life, will say yes. Yeah. We'll say yes. And so that says a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe maybe next time uh, when we get on here, I'll show you some like maybe more in-depth stuff that shows the difference of investing from 18 till, you know, the age of say 60 or say 50. We'll even get shorter. Let's say 45, say from 18 to 45 versus if you started in the 30s, right? And yeah. how much, and just to, how much more you have to save at 35 to get to 45 versus, and versus how much you would have to save starting at 18. Mm, starting at 18. Drastically yeah. different. Okay. I mean, you're talking, yeah. you're talking thousands of dollars difference per month that you'd have to save at the age of 35 to 45 to get have the same exact number as somebody who started at 18. 
Wow. Well, there, yeah. there you have it. There's our teaser for when James returns to the Pod is Good podcast. Uh, bro, it has been great having you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your wisdom. We appreciate it, man. No, thank you. It. Tell, tell I, the family we said hello. Will do. Yeah, absolutely, man. This has been great. Uh, it's, this is fun to do. So uh, anytime. No doubt. We'll definitely have you back. Got to. We got to talk more about this list, man. I mean, we. I, I felt like I might have cut you off at the knees once you told me your sixth pick was Big <laughs> L. I mean, I mean, we went from yeah. we I, I keep forgetting who was number two. I know Nas was number one. I know Jay was number three. three. I know Pac was number four. Eminem was number five. Big L was number six. Who was two? Uh, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar. How did I forget Kendrick? Con probably one of the newer artists that, that made yeah. the list. I, I say, yeah. yeah. But cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Cut absolutely. from the same cloth. Y'all can hear it. Yeah. You know what? You know what James the Investment Shark vibes with. Y'all get it. Y'all get it. So if anybody wanted to contact you um, to bring you in as maybe their financial advisor, how would they reach you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Anybody can reach me from straight from my website. Uh, it's www.olivia, O-L-I-V-I-A, W-M, as if you're spelling wealth management, so W-M.com, oliviawm.com, named after my daughter. Fine. Um, you have all my contact information there, my email, uh, phone number. You can even just set a time directly right on my calendar to chat if you want. Uh, but yeah, anytime. I'm more than happy to help. Even if people just have simple questions, I'm more than happy to help you too. Reach out to him, y'all. This is a good man, a man of God, a family man. And as you can tell and hear, he knows his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he knows his stuff. <laughs> anytime I got a question... We're on the phone because yeah. I, I, I know who knows it. By the time I think of the question, he's probably already been researching that topic, that new faction of investment for the past six months. So <laughs> yeah. why waste my time? You know what I mean? So 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 save yourself Absolutely. some time. Contact James and uh, and follow the show. Subscribe if you enjoy the content. I appreciate everybody being here. This has been episode 12 of the pod is good podcast. I did not tell you before we got on, but this is how we, th th this is our callback. So I'm going to say pod is good. You say all the time. I'll say all the time. And you say pod is good. All right. You got it. All right. Yeah, I got it. Pod is good. All the time. And all the time. Pod is good. Thank you, sir. It's your man, Cashmere, California. We'll catch y'all on the next one. Peace out. Right. Peace.